While there are a lot of opinions out there on how to replace iron, which is the best method and route and brand and product, in the multiple sources I have reviewed, there seems to be a near universal opinion that replacing iron in iron deficiency anemia is something we should always do. Now, like everything in medicine, there is always a few exceptions. And there was an interesting article in the January 28, 2006 Lancet. And what they did is they looked at anemia caused by iron deficiency in Eastern Africa. And this study was in young children, school-aged children, really preschool children, five and younger. So I'm not saying this applies to adults, though I'm not saying it doesn't either. And what they found was rather interesting when they were giving iron and they were also giving folic acid, it actually increased the risk of severe illness and death. And the theory, and probably the correct theory, is that when you are giving iron in an area that is highly endemic with malaria, as well as other infections, often when you have malaria like Plasmodium falciparum, there are other infections around as well, there may actually be protective effects of iron deficiency, meaning the plasmodium may have less efficiency in infecting iron deficient erythrocytes. And when they ended up giving the iron, that efficiency improved and therefore looked like it increased mortality and morbidity and they had to stop this trial early in these children. So my point being is that while Almost everybody feels that replacing iron is important when iron deficiency anemia is present. We don't know everything in 2016. Our knowledge is always evolving in medicine and there is definitely more story to be written with iron deficiency anemia treatment. And one of those areas that seems really interesting, at least to me, is looking at the interaction of iron with the intestinal host microbiota, meaning what interactions can take place in an iron-rich intestinal environment, because there may be some stimulation of virulent bacteria by iron. In fact, I was reading this one article where it seemed like salmonella, I should clarify that is one type of salmonella, seemed to have increased growth and pathogenicity in response to iron. So I don't know. I mean, I don't have anything to definitively back up what I'm about to say. There's no guidelines that I'm aware of. But let's say I'm admitting somebody with what I think is a very significant or potentially significant bowel infection and on my list is salmonella and shigella and a bunch of other virulent pathogens that potentially could improve their cellular invasion and epithelial translocation if they were in an iron-rich environment. I just now hold oral iron therapy if those patients come in on ferrosulfate or whatever. 
And again, there's more story to be written about this, and that's what makes medicine so exciting, but just some food for thought. And one of the reasons I bring that up is thinking about inflammatory bowel disease, because iron deficiency anemia does affect a lot of people with inflammatory bowel disease. And historically, a lot of patients with inflammatory bowel disease say they have a lot of intolerance to oral iron. And one just has to wonder, with all this current debate about how the gut microbiome may affect inflammatory bowel disease or may even be a potential etiology for some patients with inflammatory bowel disease. How is oral iron that you or I may order or prescribe going to affect them? And now that gets to the next point, which is how do we replace iron? Because in a patient population like that, a lot of providers and patients for that matter prefer IV iron as opposed to oral iron therapy. Now, it's interesting to note that if you look into this topic in depth and start watching videos from physician experts who have spent a lot of their life treating iron deficiency along with spending a lot of time doing research about iron deficiency and treatments, a lot of those experts have completely gone away from giving oral iron. They just simply feel that IV iron is the better way to replace iron. And I'm not in that camp. I'm not completely sold yet, at least. I do still prescribe oral iron, particularly if it's a patient I am seeing at a clinic in the outpatient setting. And I do have a small outpatient practice. But the majority of what I do is in the hospital. And I got to say that in the last 6 to 12 months, I've pretty much gone away from prescribing oral iron in the hospital. Unless the patient already came in on it and they were tolerating it, then I don't want to mess with their med list too much. But what I'm saying is if I detect iron deficiency anemia and they're there and they already have an IV, at a minimum, I'm going to start them on IV iron. Now, I may still prescribe them oral iron depending on how many IV treatments I was able to get in, how much replacement I think they needed, and how long they are there. I mean, if they're going home that day and I'm just hanging iron once for them, they still may need more iron replacement in the future. And the easiest way to do that might be oral iron. So again, that's just a little editorial and opinion piece, and I'm not saying that it's 100% correct. And you need to decide what's best for your patients. Now, Obviously, if you work in an environment, as so many providers do, where the resources are very limited, then oral iron, it's cheap. It's really not practical to think that we can send everybody in to an infusion clinic to set up an IV and hang IV iron for everybody. So I realize that. Now, a big problem with oral iron is that a large number of people have gastrointestinal side effects. In fact, the numbers seem to be somewhere around 70% of people 
that have some sort of GI side effect. Now, this can be dose dependent and how often you are prescribing the iron. Is it once a day? Is it three times a day? And then the formulation can also impact GI side effects, meaning that formulations with a lower amount of elemental iron are sometimes tolerated better. Some people indicate that when they are switched from a tablet to a liquid form of oral iron that they seem to tolerate it better or they notice that certain dietary changes such as taking the iron with milk may be helpful in how they tolerate the oral iron product that they are on. And the different oral iron products out there do vary in how much elemental iron per milligram of mineral salt that they contain. For example, ferrous sulfate contains about 25% of elemental iron per a milligram of mineral salt, meaning somewhere between 20 to 30%, depending on the product of ferrous sulfate. There's a lot of brand names out there of different kinds of ferrous sulfate. Compare that though with ferrous gluconate, which contains about 12% elemental iron, give or take a little bit, somewhere between 10 to 14% of elemental iron per milligram of mineral salt, compared to ferrous fumarate that contains 33% of elemental iron per milligram of mineral salt. And then if you get into the world of oral iron drops versus elixirs versus syrup, even just within one category of iron like ferrous sulfate, there may be a wide variety of milligrams per milliliter of iron in each one of those liquid formulations. And that is why you see so many different brands of something like ferrous sulfate and different brands of ferrous gluconate. And that's just of the prescribed brands. I mean, there's a lot of over-the-counter irons that come in different formulations like ferric citrate and ferrous ascorbate and ferrous succinate. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to replace is elemental iron. So I'm not going to get into the brand that I prescribe or use because I'm not sure that it's better in efficacy or tolerability than what you're finding that your patient's do better with, but ultimately, usually the recommended range of replacement is somewhere between 150 to 200 milligrams of elemental iron each day. So let's just say you prescribe ferrous gluconate at a dose of 325 milligrams, which only contains 38 milligrams of iron, and you prescribe it TID, that's 114 milligrams of elemental iron that you prescribed. Now let's say you prescribe 325 milligrams of ferrous sulfate, which contains 65 milligrams of elemental iron per tablet, and you prescribe that three times per day, that will provide about 195 milligrams of elemental iron. And of that, only a fraction is going to be absorbed. About 25 milligrams will be absorbed in total. And that's just hoping that your patients don't have any absorption problems. Remember in the last podcast, I talked about how 
celiac disease is a reason why you wouldn't absorb iron, but helicobacter pylori is another reason you may not absorb as much iron, or autoimmune gastritis, or even a disease I am sure you see very often, chronic kidney disease, that can impair oral iron absorption. That's one of the reasons why IV iron is currently given at dialysis. Because not only does the chronic kidney disease impair oral absorption, but remember these patients are often taking calcium-containing salts and they're often taking antacids, so a proton pump inhibitor will decrease absorption of iron. So when we talk about how much elemental iron is provided and then we talk about how much elemental iron is actually absorbed, we can't say those kind of things with any type of certainty in regards to how much is being absorbed with a certain product because each person is different. They take different medications. They have different diseases. Some of these products use enteric coating, which releases the iron too distally in the intestinal tract. And then there's the fact that we often forget to tell our patients to not take the iron with food. It shouldn't be taken with food so it gets absorbed better. But even if we do tell our patients that, we're usually telling them about 10 different other instructions in life and they may forget and they may decide if they've got to take it two times a day or three times a day, taking it with meals is the easiest thing. And then if they end up taking the iron with calcium-containing foods or beverages or supplements, that particularly can end up decreasing iron absorption. But I will say this, and I think most of you know this, the one thing we should be telling our patients to do is to take the iron with vitamin C because that will enhance absorption. And remember, the GI side effects, those gastrointestinal side effects that you hear about so commonly um, sometimes they're metallic taste, but often it's nausea and epigastric distress. In, in those cases, patients want to take antacids with the iron, and when you take an antacid, it reduces the gastric acid, which reduces the ability to absorb iron. Now, the other gastrointestinal side effects that often occur with iron therapy are constipation, flatulence, and then sometimes diarrhea. So it can be constipation or diarrhea or neither. But when it is diarrhea, iron can often turn the stools black. So now they're wondering and you're wondering, are these black tarry stools melana and are we dealing with a gastrointestinal upper GI bleed? Therefore, I think you get the point. It's terrific that we have oral iron in our arsenal to use for people with iron deficiency anemia. At the same time, we also acknowledge that oral iron has its problems. We know that compliance is a difficult thing with almost all medications for a lot of patients, and I have the sense that Oral iron in particular is one of those medications that my patients are not taking a lot of the time when I prescribe it. If they fall into that large group that does have the gastrointestinal side effects, I think a lot of them take a few pills and just say, eh, 
This makes me feel worse than just the anemia makes me feel. And that is why it is so important to have a follow-up appointment and tell them when you're prescribing it, listen, if you end up not taking this, just be honest with me so we don't start going down the route of, is blood being still lost somewhere? You know, Is there an intestinal loss? Is there an absorption problem where you may have something like celiac disease? It's just a whole lot easier if the patient is honest with you because they feel comfortable with you and they say, listen, this stuff makes me feel terrible and I'm just not going to take it. All right, well, this topic is taking longer than I expected it to. I thought I'd finish this easily in two lectures, but we'll have to come back for a third lecture, so I'll see you on the next round.